welcome to Arcs Chat. I'm John Robinette, and this is a special bonus episode of the podcast where we will reflect on our recent conversation with Michelle Miller-Fisher of Art and Museum Transparency and the issues that were raised surrounding the various labor movements that have been and continue to affect the cultural sector. As always, I'm joined by Amanda Robinson and Robin Bauer-Kilgill. So I just wrote down a couple of points that I thought Michelle made that were really like nice, concise chunks that we could take away from our talk with her uh, to reiterate people and then maybe also to consider for future conversations. Um, One is that change at this point in time is a collective effort. And I think the Erie Museum uh, example with the museum director is a really great uh, point. The New York Times article came out. There's petition signed. Hell was raised basically on Twitter and social media, and change happened. He was let go. Um, long overdue change, but change nonetheless. There's definitely strength in that. And then the Art Museum Transparency Spreadsheet clearly, there's strength in collaborating with one another and solidarity there. We can make change happen. Um, another thing that Michelle mentioned was that, you know, these are going to be small steps we're going to have to take. It's going to take time to right the ship, um, and they need to be done thoughtfully. So not like a rush or reactionary change, but a thoughtful approach for the better. Um, And I think that's really important to take away as well. Um, One of the things that I wrote down just for myself is that um, I think I feel guilty or I think we can feel guilty about speaking out um, or maybe like rocking the boat at work. Surely you can feel you can feel fear of retaliation and things of that in that regard. Um, which should not exist, but I don't think it matters if you come out and say it does or does not. I think people still fear it, and that's totally understandable. Um, but Michelle said something that I thought was really, of course, clear, made sense. We want constructive working environments. We don't expect every day to be easy at work. We don't expect to always get along with each other, but there should be a level of respect, a level of dignity. We should be able to be honest with one another. It should be a constructive work environment. It should not be a confrontational one where people are afraid to speak out, to speak to each other, to speak to their superiors about problems that are happening. That's all important stuff. And I think sometimes when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the woods, it's hard to see like the forest through the trees. So it's always good to take a step back and think about some of those things. And she did a really good job kind of summarizing that and keeping that focus in in the conversation that we had with her. And I wanted to reiterate those points some of our listeners as well. And that's kind of, those are kind of the major points that I wrote down. Um, in addition to, clearly, we were talking a lot about like the lack of diversity in the collections management field. We talked about that at the conference. We talked about that in our conversation with Michelle. Uh, obviously, that's not the only problem we face. There's obviously sexual harassment and other issues that are clearly endemic to our field and many others. Uh, it's just, can be really disappointing when it's, in a field where we, we tote these exhibitions, artists, these conversations that we're having, uh, ideally to be progressive ones, the ones that make us think, ones that make us more accepting and more understanding. And yet in the background, we have the total opposite of that in terms of a work environment. And that's really disappointing. So those are some yeah. of my thoughts. To respond to the work environment mm-hmm. scenario, I mean, I think the issue is there's, divergent um, groups of people that create 
the content of of an institution and the con and the and the culture and the work environment of of an institution and um there's different sets of values that go along with each one different structures and um it's unfortunate that uh the two aren't in line with each other and i think that's probably the genesis of that conflict that that you just pointed out um we think that the institutions that that create this you know sometimes progressive shows and thoughts you know would be you know like that through and through and obviously they're they're truly not so um i thought one of the things that really interested me about what uh michelle said and i don't know I'd be curious to know if there were examples of this and, you know, was, she didn't seem to feel that unionizing had to be an inherently antagonizing um, situation with, between employees and administration. And um, I see in my experience, unionizing as the ultimate in antagonism. Uh, in a work environment, especially if there's no history of it. Um, and it just seems like if you get to that point, your chances of having a constructive relationship in a constructive environment are very little. But I mean, I could be wrong. That's just been my perception of things. But um, yeah, I mean, she she seemed to believe that there is is room to have a constructive conversation around unionizing, um, and I think that's an important point to to feel. I mean, that's just negotiating in general. It's like you know, you get more catch more flies with sugar than with vinegar. So, I was going to speak to a little bit about the the union deal, um, just because you know I grew up in the Northeast. My family's actually from out west, but I grew up in the Northeast and. It was interesting to hear her talk about unions because like growing up, unions to me are kind of still a mysterious thing. I totally understand their purpose. I think it makes sense that you unionize. But like I always looked at them almost as like Masonic Lodge type. You know what I mean? Like it was like a mythical thing almost to me was unions. <laughs> and as I got yeah. older, I found out a story, which I guess I can say because this is a podcast, that um, my father, who worked for the computer industry for his entire work career, um, there was a big strike of large scale computers in the seventies and he was a scab. He crossed lines and worked against them. You know what I mean? Because basically they were, people were striking and he crossed them to do it. And he told me that story and I was like, it's kind of sad. It's <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Being more of um, the socialistic lent leaning that I am. But I mean, hearing your talk about it, I can totally understand why it would be a scary thing. Um, but I think it would be a good thing in the long run because it would give people more of a voice, you know what I mean, for, for what we do and what we have. So it was, it was interesting to hear her points to, to listen about that as I listened to the podcast after the fact. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, and this is just wild speculation based on no research, but would unionizing create a better channel for dialogue about some of these issues as opposed to having them fester and then blow up at some point. Um, maybe it doesn't. I, I mean, this is just speculation. 
I my, feel, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Robin. I was just going to say my, my basic, my basic, basic understanding of unions is that it'll help you give a collective voice, right? Right. So rather than having this disparate, these people want this thing, then these people want this thing, there'd be a one singular voice to talk about the needs and wants for the community. So the best example I could think of that would be the courier stuff, right? Come with a, have a nice flat basis for coming for demands for different courier uh, levels and stuff. So I, I think it would, it would be good. I just, I still feel like a bit in our field, we still work in kind of silos a touch. And mm-hmm. even like, that was something else I was thinking about as, as more I thought about it, is like, you know, Amanda, you're from more of an art museum background, John, you're private mm-hmm. collection, but it's it, more leaning towards art. I'm history. So the experiences I've had in history museums, I think are slightly different than what you see in art museums when it comes to a lot of different aspects of our world. So you know, it would be interesting to see if we could cross more across the bounds of different types of museums and kind of have a global collective voice in the long run. I think the unions that have started have been not from the same, they're not joining the same union. If if I'm, Mm -hmm. I think they're all in various um, different ones, which kind of leads, lends to thinking that it's not a fully collective voice. So would the thought be more of a union for like art handlers versus a union of maybe, I mean, registrars, or do you think it would be more of a geographical thing? Well, I mean, the, the ones, the unions they're joining are, you know, not so trade specific. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not museum unions. They're existing unions by and large. So as far as I can tell, um, yeah. What what I'm learning while we talk about this is how little we know about unions. That's what I keep thinking. It's like to me, it's like here, not the expert. And I'm just saying this from a I'm like a complete. I don't want to say novice, just like naive. It's just being like steam fitters union. Like I don't even. You know what I mean? Like my base is knowledge is plumbers, nurses, like you said, teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, not all I know off the top of my head. So maybe that's something that we do just have to educate ourselves on. Yeah. yeah. The, you know what what it really involves is it discipline based is it you know what is it exactly well yeah and and what's what's also important to recognize is like if if we don't know it i mean we're probably representative of a broad swath of our yeah professional community so um and maybe we are scared of unions as a result uh, well, the other thing I was going to say is I feel like a lot of the unionizing that we're seeing in the museum field is very reactionary. Mm-hmm. Like the employer keeps taking and keeps taking and taking. I have no option left but to unionize. Right. Um, that's how I'm seeing a lot of it kind of come, come together in the museum field. It would be great if we could choose to be a union in general and then come to the table and, and ask for things as a collective voice. Unfortunately, it seems to be that we are left with no choice but to unionize because employers, employees are being so taken advantage of. Right. Um, and I, I'm, I know you said that Michelle kind of referred to it as like a really a positive thing, not an antagonizing thing. But I, I think historically unions are in place because if they weren't in place, yeah. laborers would have been, you know, go to the coal mine. I don't care if you're crying. Bring a canary down there. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's that people realize they don't have any agency. And so they mm-hmm. try to figure out how to get that agency. You know what I mean? And how to get 
stuff like dental care or paid time off or, you know what I mean? Like overtime, any of that kind of stuff. And even if you unionize, there's still repercussions. You all get fired anyway. Yeah. No joke. Or yeah, they, they closed down Marciano. We would be remiss to not talk about um, the latest bit of activism that Art Museum Transparency has been involved with, uh, which is the recent events of uh, what's now being termed the hashtag Museum Me Too, um, and what's happening at Philadelphia Museum of Art and also the Erie Art Museum, um, and the director that was just dismissed, was that yesterday or today? I think it was um, yesterday. Yeah. So uh, based on the New York Times article that came out about the uh, sexual harassment um, that he apparently has a history of. So, um, you know, Michelle or Art Museum Transparency um, sort of alluded that something big was brewing. Uh, this was a few weeks ago um, that a Me Too related um issue was brewing at a major museum and then um they didn't obviously break the story but you know they seem to have gotten wind fairly early um i think this is also i don't i don't know that it's union related but um it's also part of our our context um and our labor uh issues that are facing the community at the moment um what are your initial thoughts on this i mean of course it's it's pretty horrifying but um yeah what are the implications well i think you know we we talked a little earlier about how the fact that i mean i say this being only about 10 years older than this guy but his how young he was surprised me you know what i mean even though that shouldn't be a, a thing to think about um he was i mean that's still even in the best case scenario, an EMP and emerging, you know what I mean? So it was kind of surprising to see kind of how much damage he did in a short amount of time, I guess. Um, But I mean, again, huge props to the people who someone must have kept pursuing this, I guess is what I keep thinking of for it to finally come out. Like they didn't let it get swept under the table. And that I have to say, and it must've been someone at the Philly museum, I'm guessing, you know what I mean? And the fact that they didn't allow it to get swept up and they were, they got, it kind of brought on to this general Me Too movement, I think is a really great thing. Um, and I think we're going to be finding out more and more of these cases as time go on, be it a male director, a female director, a female, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more of this information is going to come out. So again, huge props to them. And I think that um, it'll be very interesting to see how this, how the ripples of this event kind of go across the museum community, for sure. Not in the faculty's education, because most of those staff members are younger, too. So that kind of is the other annoying fact to me, was it's usually the people, the education department tends to be a little younger than the other departments. So that, to me, was highly annoying that he was taking advantage of that group. So those were kind of my initial thoughts. Yeah, I... um I was reading, so Art and Museum Transparency retweeted a few statements from PAM members, and one is uh, Sarah Jenny Shaw, who shared a statement. Um, I thought she put it really well. I guess the HR 
spoke with their education staff, which um, was this guy's name, Josh. I don't even want to know if I want to give him the pleasure of having his name said on our podcast. Right? It's the gentleman Um, from Erie. (laughs) Yeah. The director of the Erie Art Museum. Um, I guess back in November, HR came to education staff at PAM um, kind of to address the sense of emotions that were still running high even after this individual had left. And she makes a really good point, and she's, she's, I'm going to quote her, I hope she's okay with this. What I said then, and will say again now, is that the former and current employees who are affected by his actions will not feel closure and will continue to feel angry and powerless until the institution that failed to protect, protect them and enable him takes responsibility, responsibility for the failure. I think that's pretty clear, right? Yeah. Your employer did nothing to protect you. They allowed it to happen for years, right? Isn't that what the end of that New York Times article said? Yeah. Um, when it quoted that intern that she's like, I reported it my last day and he was there two years later. Yeah. So another thing that either Art Museum Transparency or, or Sarah noted was the fact that not only did he hold, held, hold a position of power at a very prominent institution, he took a higher position afterward as a director somewhere else. And was allowed to behave in the same way for over a year or a year until his New York Times article came out. And now he was fired. Now he was punished because of bad PR. That is so disheartening to anybody. I mean, I imagine that is so disheartening to anybody who's been a victim of that type of abuse to only get attention when it's all, all of a sudden a PR issue for the entire institution to deal with. doesn't matter enough that you came forward and said you had a problem and you need to be protected. Well, that's not important. Oh, my God, our image is going to be ruined. Our brand is going down. Okay, now we'll do something. How devaluing must that make someone feel? It's really, from someone who's just watching it from the outside, it's incredibly frustrating to see. Um, And I think that organizations like Art Museum Transparency and the Hashtag Museum Me Too are going to be really powerful tools to hear other people's stories, to find some solidarity amongst one another and to enact change the same way that we've done with the spreadsheets we've done collectively art museum transparency specifically and make some change happen this is important we're all disgusted to see this we don't like it we don't agree with it why are we allowing it to happen our leadership isn't doing something about it then we should well i think there's there's a couple of points based on what you just said um a the What's really great, and this is something that um, you know Michelle pointed out as term in terms of like one of the the goals of what they're they're doing is to not let these movements die. And now we are at about the eighth eight month mark uh, since their inception in May of 2019, and um, and it hasn't really died. And if anything, it's only gotten stronger. Um, and B, what we've seen with the, and I completely understand that, you know, there's a reason why people don't speak up, but when you do speak up and whether it's about a sexual harassment situation or it's your salary, you create precedence. And um, so now is the time to get on board the train because, I mean, it benefits everybody. And look, I, I, I know I'm one to talk. I'm, I'm the, the white straight male, but um, 
that's I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, th- this is this is it, you know it's it's for us the community to help people be able to come forward in order to right the wrongs that have been created. Well, and I also think there's a there's a feeling I've had that discussion a lot too. I mean, I'm a white cisgendered lady. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. not that far behind <laughs> white cisgendered yeah. dudes. Um, but to me, it's that it's you create that community of people not saying, yes, we believe you. You know what I mean? And not acting like, oh, you're not talking anything. You know what I mean? That that's that's our role in this. Beyond us having our own stories too. I mean, you know, I know I've experienced things, especially working with history museums and you know, it's predominantly guys, especially when you get into like military collections. So it's them trying to respect what you're saying and listen to you. Um, that's always important. I mean, the other thing too, I, I always slightly worry about is we keep talking like, oh, go talk to HR. You can go talk, talk to the HR department. Some of these small museums do not have an HR department. It could be a staff of one, you know what I mean? And especially if you're working with a, a smaller organization where maybe the board is all old community members and there's not really anyone to go to. So the fact that if we can push to have these communities online and in other places where they can at least vent to, even if they don't want to come forward at this time, that, that's incredibly important to me. So they don't feel alone. Um, I think that's the thing you always have to think back to, generally speaking. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you say that, Robin, too, because one of the points Michelle made when we were chatting with her is that, um, you know, they're talking about a big, a big group project and they wanted to bring on an intern and, she, and they weren't going to pay it. And she said, I'm not going to work with an unpaid intern. Like collectively, as a curatorial staff, we are not going to work with that. So we need to reimagine this project. It is okay for you to come out and say, this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I understand that I'm at this level, not this level, but it does, I say it's unacceptable and right. I, will not, I will not participate in this. And I think there's a lot of power in that. And, and there should be no shame either as well if you have an experience like this um, and you come forward and share it. Like having these social media platforms is a great way for you to express yourself and to share your story and for us to absorb it and to help wipe away that shame and not to be down on HR people. Cause like you said, sometimes no. they're a power of one. Mm-hmm. Also, if, if they're anything like at my organization, like the buck does not stop with them. It stops with higher level leadership. So while they can be advocating for you and advocating for you, it may not go far. If your director, your CEO, your CFO, whoever does not want to hear it, doesn't want to listen, does not want to acknowledge it. And that's really disheartening. I wish there was some more autonomy and agency at an HR level for certain smaller organizations, maybe larger organizations. You have resources. At my previous job, you did. You did. You could go above the HR at our museum, and you could go straight to university. You know, and th- there was zero tolerance for any behavior like that. And I, right. I did see that happen when I was there, and I was fortunate enough to have a supervisor who had zero tolerance for any of that type of behavior, and it was addressed immediately. But if you don't have that, it can be incredibly disheartening. So it's, it's powerful to have these other channels to express yourself and to get support. Right. No, I mean, the, some of the only leverage many people will have is, is it's not going to come in. in if, if support doesn't come from upper management, then people will go to the media. And, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, look what happened at Erie. Right. The media was the only thing that took the guy down. Mm-hmm the reputation of the institution was more important than the culture of the museum. Um, so um, that would be the byproduct of, of 
people not taking action is we'll see more of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, the next question is like, how is that going to affect, I mean, are people going to stop going? Um, is the bottom line going to be hurt even more um, than just the reputation? Uh, do people boycott these places? I mean, is that, is that, is that what's beyond this? I mean, I think that's going to be interesting. The best example I can think to that is, um, it's going to sound silly, but like Kevin Spacey, you know, when all his stuff came out, right. I have a hard time going back and watching some of his movies now. You know what I mean? Honest, like some movies that are good movies, but when I see him in it, I'm creeped out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I just think right. about things. So I don't, I, I think it's going to be how the institutions react to it. You know what I mean? To see um, how, how strongly they react to it, how seriously they take it. So far, I mean, kind of looks like Erie Museum is. I, I don't know yet. The, the strongest thing I saw is how the former director said he wanted to wipe out the board and start over again, which I was like, go for <laughs> that. It was like, that's an impressive statement. Um, way to do it. <laughs> I know. I was like, dang. But I think that's going to be the, the question is how the institutions are going to react to it and what their, their takeaways, you know what I mean? What their, their forward steps are rather are going to be. Um, well, and you know what would be really powerful too, and again, I'm, I keep quoting Art Museum Transparency or these other sources, is if like there, it's never too late as an organization to be like, we messed up, mm -hmm. messed up, this was not handled well, I, you know, I was ignorant in this, et cetera, et cetera. I still owe these people, former and past employees, a genuine apology, and let's change. It's never too late, right? It's never too late to do that, and then you can actually make some growth happen. Make some change happen. Heal wounds and move on. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, these are lessons we supposedly learned as kids. And, you know, um, to see them not taken seriously um, later on in life is, is pretty disheartening. So, um, And everybody back to kindergarten, John. <laughs> I could, I would. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you even know, and... In, in, I have a boy girl set of twins as do other people. And I find it interesting to watch how people interact with them. You know what I mean? And the different ways they treat them and the words they use to describe them and what's good and kind to both of them. How one's referred to often as you're so pretty, you're so nice. The other one's you're so smart, you're so brave. And mm -hmm. it's along pretty traditional lines. You know what I mean? What you hear those things too. And then you feel like the bad guy when you're correcting older generations. <laughs> saying like oh we're trying to use these words around them about <laughs> these words and then they look at you like you're crazy <laughs> it's like so i i think it is i think it is um a constant re-education you know what i mean of of how these institutions and how we as humans are going to interact with all this stuff and i mean you guys have to remember too we haven't even mentioned as I, I keep scrolling through the hashtag you know there's obviously a whole thing with transgender people and and you know gay and, and bisexual and all that group you know what i mean that um they're kind of starting to have their voices raised as well, which is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what you want to see. So, And uh, something that's often very ignored is when sexual harassment is against men, either perpetrated by women or other men. Yes. It's, a sh it's a shameful thing in our culture in the United States, but it absolutely happens. Yep. Completely. Um, especially when you have younger men or um, men who are, who are gay or transgender, they're just like us women, weaker links. Yeah. So, and they're more vulnerable. And yep. it's never talked about, and it's absolutely just as relevant and just as important.
going scrolling through this today is like both disheartening and heartening. <laughs> I'm getting like a real mixture of feelings reading all these stories. It's like you're you're kind of impressed with I say impressed by saying like I'm impressed with people coming forward and talking, you know what I mean, and saying things, but it's also very upsetting to read some of the institutions listed in some of these. Um, you know, as you scroll through the hashtag. So well, it's like what Patrick Swayze says in Roadhouse. It'll get worse before it gets better. That's right. <laughs> we should end every podcast with a movie quote. <laughs> that appropriate? As Roadhouse is always appropriate, John. <laughs> As quoted in the 1984 movie Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that that line was lifted from something else. That's a from Rumi or something. <laughs> Oh, man. How do all boys of a certain age like Roadhouse? I'm not going to get on my soapbox. I've been forced to watch that movie multiple times. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, so. I'll, I'll tell you why when we're not recording. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> it's, it's like some sort of weird Gen X dude connection to Roadhouse. I do not understand. Is there anything else you guys wanted to cover from what she talked about? Let's um, let's just have a closing statement. The only other thing, well, the only other thing I kept thinking about, and we don't need to talk about it, was she kept talking about how she was like secure in her position and how like a curator, she felt really good. And I was like, man, I've never felt like that as a collections person. (laughs) And I don't (laughs) (laughs) had a comment on that. You know what I mean though? I was just like, because like when I work, my, my good, you know, my, uh, full-time salary position was with the tribe and the tribe was even at will. You get fired, drop the hat tribe. So like, I was always like, how does it feel like to be secure in your position that, cause you know, if, if I would have come up to this, if I, back in the day, if I would have been like, I'm not going to work on this exhibit because of this reason, there's a good chance I would have been told to pack up my desk and go. Yeah. You know? And I was thinking about that a little bit when she was talking about that. I was, I was like, I don't know how many people would feel comfortable or would feel the security. Especially when mm-hmm. our types of jobs are so hard to find sometimes. Um, how secure you would feel. So, I don't know. And that's incredibly, it's incredibly valid. But also, don't we want work environments that are safe enough for us to say to our, our bosses or our colleagues, I don't really think this is the direction we want to go in, or I don't think this is quite right. Can't we rethink it? Oh, yeah. You know, there's no, you know, pack your bags and leave when you say something reasonable like that. So if, if we can take that type of approach towards it, even if you don't feel like you have agency, you know, you've made the point and you've opened others' ears to it and it's, there's a chance that maybe it'll change their minds or they'll rethink it, even if it's coming from an intern. That's true. I mean, I guess the hope is, is that you would have that open enough dialogue to be like, I have a concern with this when you're in the early planning stages. I just got, I don't know, part of me in my head was like, I know, especially at the start of my career, I would have been really scared. I mean, and I'm talking about something not, not more hashtag museum me too. I'm talking more like the intern deal. If they would have come to me and been like, we're using unpaid interns, you know what I mean? And I would have felt highly uncomfortable when I was still an EMP to be like, I'm not going to work on this project because you have unpaid interns. You know what I, I mean? I wouldn't have even thought twice about it until Michelle yeah. said it. And exactly. I, like, yeah. I have the power to do that. Or I could think that way. I didn't yeah. even realize it. Yep. I so. think a lot of these conversations have a lot to do with not what you're saying, but how you say it or how you broach the subject. And maybe you don't put an administrator 
on the defensive like that in a meeting mm-hmm. uh, around other people. But maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's required for them to realize that there's a group that actually disagrees with them. Um, but, you know, one way to approach it is to take them aside and say, hey, this is not cool. Um, I'm not going to be a part of this. But then, but then they don't hear it from everybody else. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, I struggle with that sometimes because a lot of times people they don't want to be humili- humiliated and people pay a price for being humiliated publicly. Um, uh, unless again, this, it, it becomes tag- antagonistic and, you know, they have no choice but to retaliate in some way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, it's how you do it. It's say, Hey, can we think, rethink it as opposed to, I will not do that. Um, right. So. Then I, um, don't, I don't think, well, it's always nice to think that most people aren't necessarily tr- like I'm. Will I'm unknowingly ignorant every day in my life. I don't have the experiences of every other people of all different people. I don't know the always recognize the privileges I have. So it's important to speak out and to share that you open people's minds and help them think. But you can do it in a constructive way and a kind way, right? Yeah. And and you, you we could easily say, look, if and if they don't respond positively to something like that, or at least you know get your full opinion, you don't you shouldn't be working for them. But you know, again, most people don't feel like they have that luxury. I was going to um, say it's a very privileged perspective to have. Yeah, exactly. Well, to work with you. Okay, well, I guess I want to eat today. <laughs> right. Well, and like you know, she brought that up a little bit about how like sometimes you have to step back and think like I am. I always say this, like in my current career where I'm basically a consultant and a contractor, I I couldn't do it unless I had my husband's health insurance to fall back on. You know what I mean? Like that's a very privileged place to be in. And I always remind myself of that fact. Or when people ask me, you know, how did I get to be a consultant? I'm like, (laughs) government healthcare. Like, you know, it's like, that's how I managed to do it. Because I didn't have to worry about that quite as much. So um, I, I often think about how like my experience has been very lucky, you know what I mean? And you have to kind of step back from it every once in a while and kind of think like, how else could we empower the community to give, be able to give them the same kind of advantages um, or help them out in certain ways. So. Well, um, I guess on that uplifting note, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> no, I mean, the, the idea is that, you know, we are a community and, and we can only solve the problems together. Right. Uh, and that's the only way we'll ever be fully empowered in order to, um, to make the changes that need to be made. And, um, you know, I think it's important, you know, she, maybe I put her on the spot when I asked the question, like, who are the museums or who are the institutions we should model ourselves after? And, you know, predictably, I guess she said that, uh, you know, everyone's got their positive and everyone's got their negative and no one's ever going to be perfect. So. I think we have to sort of embody that and accept that, but it also means that we're never going to stop having to improve. Um, Yeah. um, We're just always going to have to be vigilant and with the figurative keys between our fingers um, as we (laughs) walk through the, the halls of our, of our institutions. So I mean, if this, if this particular case with the area museum is our Harvey Weinstein case, I'm, I, not glad for it i'm glad it's coming to light and if it can only help more people and these kind of cases come to light it'll just help us to improve and i think that's what we have to always look at cases like this um 
I mean, I I can't say that I was like, oh my God, this happened in our community. Clutch my pearls. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like, (laughs) I wasn't shocked. Um, I was sad, you know what I mean? But I wasn't shocked. And, and hopefully people will just feel more like they can talk about these types of situations when they happen for sure. Yeah. Um, to, to kind of end our conversation tonight, I don't want us to leave without sharing a few resources for people as well. Um, Leadership Matters <laughs> did a blog post yesterday about this, and they also noted that they have a petition. The Gender Equity and Museums Movement has a petition on change.org um, that, makes you, that asks you to make a personal commitment to end sexual harassment in the museum workplace by signing the pledge. Uh, we can link that in this podcast for those who are interested in that. And I also wanted to bring up RAIN.org, which is an organization, um, a national organization for individuals who are experiencing uh, sexual violence, harassment, or rape. You can call the RAIN helpline at 800-650-HOPE. That's 4673 if you are experiencing anything like this in your life, in your workplace, and they can hook you up with a counselor and get you some assistance and resources. And I think that's also something important to take away from all of this that came out today. Thanks for listening to our special edition of ARCS Chat. I hope you got something out of our attempt to wrestle with the previous discussion. Of course, these issues are ongoing, so please subscribe to the podcast to stay informed of all the latest developments. If you found the discussion interesting or would like to leave a comment, please find us on social media at ARCSforAll with the number four and with the hashtag ARCSChat. Until next time, thanks again.